Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. God is good. All the time. All the time. It's so great to have everyone here this morning, including Facebook and uh, YouTube. Uh, isn't technology great? Especially when it works. <laughs> Uh, we've had our trials and tribulations and that, but praise God, we're here, and uh, we just love proclaiming the gospel, amen? It's the almost too good to be true news. That's what that means in the Greek. Isn't that just powerful? It's, it's, it's a good gospel. It, it, should, it should make you go, whoa, stand up and say, this is good, amen? So I'm excited to uh, be back with you. We weren't here last week. Uh, my precious brother Jason has passed on to eternity. He's reconnected with the source of life, Amen. And uh, we've had our ups and downs, but I just have to say that uh, the overwhelming love and support has just, wow. Wow. Like my dad would say, say wow. Say it backwards. Say it upside down. Don't know what that has to do with anything, but we all laugh anyway. But uh, yeah, it's been been amazing. And, uh, you know, it doesn't stop here. Uh, We have, uh, you know, a family. Uh, that doesn't have a husband anymore or a father, but how many know that we can step in in some ways and in many ways, and you really have. I mean, the outpouring has just been amazing, not just your love, but, I mean, financially, I mean, all around. So we just, we just want to say thank you uh, from the family, both sides, the Gin Grass and the Baransics, and we're going to get through this together. Amen. Uh, with that being said, I'm, I'm, this isn't the best circumstance to have this, but uh, we have our founders here with us today, Dr. Carl and Kathy Baransic. If we can give a hand to them. Uh, I wouldn't be standing here and, and, and spending time saying words and stuff from up here if it weren't for them. In 1981, they dragged my butt there around nine years old, and here I am still. What happened? 40 years later, but uh, 40 years now. Isn't that beautiful? And so just amazing. Uh, so honored to you guys uh, for what you've instilled in us. I'll tell you, we, we saw that yesterday. Don't get me started. But man, uh, I, I've, I've done many a funeral. And I'll tell you, the, the outpouring of people tangibly there. Wow. Because when you give people the option, I mean, come on, look, we know. Hey, it's online. Cool. I don't got to go, right? And so we streamed live yesterday in the funeral service. But I'm telling you, between Friday and Saturday, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people showed up. And that's just a testimony to Jay's life, for sure. And the turnaround that Jesus can do in a heart. Come on. Amen. But also to mom and dad. So thank you for all the, the foundation that you've given us. And Hopefully we can continue to grow from that and branch out from that. And, and you know, I, I, my desire for my children is to be a better version of me than I've ever been, right? And so that's what we strive for. So that's beautiful. Uh, we also have uh, Pastor Jerry Cox, uh, yes, with us this morning uh, from New Covenant Living. That's a great name. Come on, we live in a New Covenant. That's beautiful. So thank you for joining us today, and not much pressure on me at all with all these preachers here, but it'd be good. And then we have, I always want to call you doctor, maybe that's just prophetic or something, huh? But uh, Reverend Michael Lusk from Vanguard Evangelism with us, so. Uh, Among greatness in the kingdom, and it's beautiful, but uh, thank you again for everything. Um, I've been thinking about, really, over the, the last week, you know, Holy Spirit, where do we go with this? And so... Uh, he really just started to stir some stuff up in me, and I thought, well, we can either do about, you know, four or five hours today, or we can just do a series. How many would just say, let's go with a series? So we're going to go with a series. It's a new series called Intersections. Say Intersections. And so we're going to talk about this idea of how God intersects with our lives. Because I think sometimes we may struggle, especially in situations that are tough, uh, wondering, where is God? Think about this, Jesus on the cross, knowing his purpose, knowing his plan, knowing the connection that he had with Father, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, there's been all kinds of theological debate and things on that, and some people feel like God turned his back on Jesus and stuff like that, but really we know that Jesus, as a rabbi at the time, a rabbi would usually begin a song and the crowd would sing with him, and he was actually starting on a psalm, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How many have ever felt like that in their life? 
I have. Where is God in this moment? What's beautiful is I picture Jesus. I'm thinking the most excruciating pain he's ever experienced on a cross and he starts a song. Come on, Jesus. That's, that's pretty, pretty radical, right? Pretty cool. But then as they're singing this back, this psalm actually is a prophetic psalm and it's speaking of everything that's already happened and happening at that very moment. Can you imagine the Jewish minds going, whoa, what's going on? But here's the beauty of it. By the end of the song, it says, you've never hidden your face from me. So although Jesus felt what he felt, come on, have we ever felt those feelings? The truth is God has never gone anywhere. And so that's what we can learn from that. And so Jesus is this beautiful example of what a, a, a parent relationship would be with the son or with the daughter. And I think there's just so many things we can pick up on that. So today I want to talk about in part one, here's a question, does God really care? Say that with me. Does God really care? So as we look at this idea of intersections, you know me, I kind of like to study things out. I said, what's the definition of intersections? It's this, a place or area where two or more things intersect or meet. It means to meet and cross at a point. Now, sometimes I believe this happens in our life with God because he's always there and he's meeting us where we, where we are, but sometimes we don't even see it. Uh, I think a lot of times it's our own thinking. We think that we're far, we're distant, we're dirty, we're not good enough. But God's like, wait, you're my son, you're my daughter. I'm always there. I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. I will not forsake you. And so it's in these moments that we have to go, even though I may not feel like God's here in this moment, I have to know that I know that I know that he is. And sometimes that literally takes faith. Faith is not always knowing, folks. Faith is stepping into something whether you know it or not. Amen? So how is it that God intersects with our life journey? Well, in this series, we'll talk about this idea of hurt and, and the pain and the loss that we experience with those hurts and really how God intersects with those moments. Because there's a thing, we aren't alone. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Uh, let me think of it like this. Here's a question. Where does our hurt intersect with God as a healer? How many know God's a healer? Come on. Now, sometimes when we hear a message of healing, we, we may only think physical. And that's, of course, part of it. It's beautiful, right? That we can believe for, for healing in our bodies, for that, that healing virtue in our bodies. But sometimes we neglect the inner, the soul. And the soul runs so deep. And I've realized, think about this. Science has proven that many times when our soul's out of alignment, with who we are, that's how I would put it, understanding that connection with God. Uh, when we have uh, bitterness and, and resentment and issues and hurt and pain, if we don't deal with those things, it usually manifests in physical ailments. Uh, I was looking at a study here recently, and they were saying, I think it was somewhere around 80 or 90% of all office visits are stress-related. And this doesn't exclude Jesus followers. Because we can all give in to this, right? So it's, it's really important that we understand this. So today what I want to do is we have several weeks, like I said, to, to go through this. But I really want to create a backdrop for this new series. A setting in which to view this idea of hurts. And, and how we as believers can deal with the emotions. We can deal with the pain, the loss that's associated with these hurts. Now, sometimes I think that we can come into a space like this on a Sunday morning. You know, we show up to a church service and think, wow, this is great for Sunday. Now, for some, it's a religious duty. It's just something we do every Sunday. I mean, we, we automatically wake up. We know we got to be there. For some of us, we almost feel like if we're not, then God's going to hold out by the way he isn't. But this is a beautiful place to be. I love church. Church is a great place. I think it's still valid today, right? But for some people, yeah, it's cute. It's great. It's nice. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And we go through all the rigmarole. But here's the thing. When, when it comes to Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, maybe we think God's not there. Because some people might actually think he lives in this building. But he lives in you and I. So everywhere we go, the body's going, the church is going. Isn't that awesome? So what people do is we kind of have the Sunday life, and then we have, that was great. Oh, now I'm back to real life. 
But what I found is the real life is found in Jesus. The real life is that connection we have to the energy source, the source of all life. When you begin to tap into that and realize that it's for you and not against you, it changes everything. Even when the circumstances are hard. Even when life gets rough. I wish when I went to church, when I was at the ripe old age of seven years old, and I said, Jesus, come into my heart, that everything was perfect from there on out. But guess what? It hasn't been. But I have a peace if I tap into it. I have a strength if I tap into it. Listen to this. I have a faith because faith is a gift. It's not up to you. He gives you the faith. Faith means trust. And you begin to trust the more that you have intimate relationship and realize he's for me. He loves me. He's not the author of this circumstance. He's the author of the answer to the circumstance. And you begin to see things in a different light. And so a lot of people think, well, this is real life. What does Jesus have to do that? What is this, this big God far and away? Because some people think he's, he lives up in the clouds somewhere, in those clouds, and he, he's a white dude on a white throne, you know. Uh, don't think that's how it's working, uh, because he's spirit. That's why worship in spirit and truth. He's neither male nor female. But what do we do as humans? We try to wrap our head around what God is like. And so you can see all through scripture, he's, he's called a rock, he's called a fortress, he's called a male, he's referred to as female. There's all these different things because as humans, we're trying to put skin, flesh and bone on who God is, but he, he's spirit, right? And so sometimes we wonder, what does he have to do with my life, what I'm going through right now? And so we think maybe there's something wrong with us because when I go to church, I mean, that guy that walked in next to me is just, all he ever says is, I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm blessed and highly favored. And his life seems perfect. And that's a great confession. But, but here's the thing I found is sometimes I don't feel very blessed and highly favored. And so what I do is I tap into relationships with people who I know they love me. And they'll say, how you doing today? And I'll say, I'll be totally honest with you. Not very good. I don't feel good. Things aren't going well. Will you pray with me? Will you stand with me? Will you work through this with me? See, that's why the body of Christ is important. That's why this connection is important. It's not so we can sing some beautiful songs and you can go, wow, they're amazing at what they do. It's not because, wow, Pastor Andy's just, he's so great at speaking. That's not what this is about. It's certainly to encourage you. It's to recenter you. It's to refocus you on the truth of who you are and whose you are. But outside these walls, there's this relationship that we can cultivate, but we have to do it together. And this is the place. This is a space we can do that. It's beautiful. And so maybe we think there's something wrong with us. Maybe we're the only ones that, you know, we feel the way we feel with such unresolved hurt and we have trouble just getting through life. I mean, sometimes that's what life feels like. We're trying to make it all work. And so then instead of just being open and honest and saying, here it is, even to God. Listen, God already knows you inside and out. And I've become okay with saying, "Woo, I got some messed up stuff, Jesus. I need some help. But see, the Bible says to confess your faults to one another so healing may come. See, sometimes the healing isn't coming because you can't receive it because you can't let go and just be open and be vulnerable at times. Not to everybody. right? I've talked several times about those different circles. Pete just talked a few weeks ago about circle of trust. So sure, you don't just walk in, I don't know you, but blah, and you just, you know, verbally vomit on them. That's probably not the best thing. But we also have to be honest and have people who we trust with our hearts. And so if we don't, what happens a lot of times is we develop coping mechanisms in order to avoid more pain and to protect ourselves. But I believe in many ways that also closes us off to our Father, to the healing that we really need. I've said this before, but I think it's interesting. Most of the time in the gospel, when Jesus would come into a town and there was someone who needed healing and they would say, Jesus, I can't see, I can't walk, they need a healing. What's one of the first things Jesus would say to them? Your sins are forgiven you. It's like, thanks, Jesus, I, I'm blind. And he used to wonder about them, like, Jesus, they're not even asking you for that. It's like when you, you, know, you, you ask your kids a question and then they answer something else. You're like, what's going on? 
But I began to realize something, that Jesus was wiping the slate clean. You ever think about this? When you're walking through life, if you feel this burden and weight of sin, those things that you, how many know that sin, let's say this, sins, plural, the things that we do, is a manifestation of sin. And sin, hamartia in the Greek, means to live outside your true identity, the true God-given identity you have. So it's not like, oh, you're evil. This, no, you don't know who you are. You're living mistaken identity. But what Jesus does is he comes in and he says, hey, your sins are forgiven you. Okay, why? So you can receive. Because some people feel like they're not good enough to receive what Jesus wants to give. And Jesus is like, hey, let me do this right up front. Slate clean. What you need? I need this in my life. It's yours. Take it. I will. Isn't that beautiful? And so instead, we develop coping mechanisms to avoid the pain and to protect ourselves. But the Bible has something different to say about this. Like, you know, the gospel always does. The gospel's beautiful. The almost too good to be true news. It points us to someone other than ourselves. So focus on someone who, think about this, experienced, experienced the same hurts that we've experienced, the, the same emotions, the same temptations that we do. And what's his name? Jesus. And we see this all through the gospel. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 4. Remember, today's a backdrop. Say backdrop for the whole series. Look at this in verse 14. Now that we know what we have, the writer of Hebrews says, okay, what is it we have? They're going to clue us into something. Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God. Now, now stop for a second and think about this. Because sometimes what we do is we read scripture in a 21st century mindset and we just try to plug ourselves in everywhere but what we have to do is we have to realize that this was written to first century Jews and Hebrews is a beautiful letter because this letter is trying to convince Jews who are going to temple who are offering sacrifices who are following an old covenant a new way in fact a better way. If you, if you read all through Hebrews, it's comparing Jesus and it makes him so much better, so much higher in this new way of life, a new covenant, a new way. That's why they use this priest uh, language and stuff. I want you to understand that. So he says, here we have Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God. Look at this. Let's not let it slip through our fingers. You ever had something slip out of your hand? Like, oh, I had it. You're playing a, a pickup game of football or something like, oh, it was that close. I almost had it. He's saying, you've got it. It's already there. It's already been given. The gift is given, but you let it slip through your fingers. Look at this. We don't have a priest who is out of touch. I love this. With our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. Some translations say tempted in every way, just as we are. Look at this. Experienced it all, all but the sin. Now think about this in perspective, what I just said. He knew his identity. When you know your identity, you sin less because you realize, wait, I'm not built for that. That's not who I am. I'm going to make better decisions. I say it quite often. Uh, Pete, uh, years ago, uh, gave this analogy and I thought it was awesome. He said, we think the grass is greener on the other side, but it's actually AstroTurf. His AstroTurf looks great, right, from a distance. But my son, who played years of football, said, it's way different than grass, Dad. It hurts when you fall down, and it burns when you slide across it. So don't let the AstroTurf fool you. But look at this. So let's walk right up to him. Do you see how bold this is? Switching from an old covenant where a priest did everything for you, now full access to the throne of grace. Come on. Woo! Say Hallelujah. Full access to the throne of grace, he says, so walk right up to him and get, listen to this, what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Say, I accept your help. I accept your mercy. It's beautiful. So when I was in sixth grade, and this was pretty cool when we were going through, I think you saw, did you see Paul Menzing? It was so cool. This guy comes up to me and, and uh, he's off. You know how like when you're talking to someone and you just know in your peripheral there's someone and they have this certain waiting stance, you're like, they want to talk to me. 
I guess I'm next, right? And I look up, I'm like, man, I don't know this guy. But he's looking at me like, yeah, yeah, like we know each other. I'm like, what's going on? And so he walks up and as he gets closer, he goes, hey, you remember me? And as soon as he spoke, I went, Paul? I haven't seen you since sixth grade, man. It was so cool. So it's funny because when I was preparing this week, I had this story and then Paul shows up and it was just confirmation. I need to tell this story. Tell him myself. You guys might remember this story. So it was sixth grade. And how many have ever heard of brass fasteners? Anyone know what a brass fastener? I think I might have, uh, we got a picture of this possibly, a brass fastener. But these brass fasteners, they actually were, were patented by a man named George W. McGill in 1866. Now, I don't know if we have the picture or not, but these brass fasteners, they look kind of like a thumbtack, but on the other end they have prongs, and, and you can bend them. And, and so we usually use like clips and, and paper clips and stuff like that. What they do is they, they may pierce a hole into a bunch of papers. They would push this through and then they would bend it back. So it would hold the papers together. Pretty cool invention, right? Well, I hadn't seen, oh, here they are. Here. I hadn't seen any of these until art class. So in art class, I didn't know that it held paper together. I thought it, I thought it made game spinners. You ever done that? You make your little spinner from like the board game and you put the numbers on it. Then you get construction paper or something. You cut out an arrow. You put that through the middle and bend it. And then you can spin away. And it's like, man, this is cool. It's just like the game, but not, <laughs> right? But I thought that's what those are for. Well, in sixth grade, I, my dad's starting to catch on to the story. But in sixth grade, um, I, my friend got a different idea about these brass fasteners. No, he, yeah, no, no, he did. But, but then I took, I just took it over. We, we developed this thing. So... <laughs> So my buddy says, dude, check this out. If you take the fastener at the end and you bend it outward and then you take about halfway out from those prongs, right, and you bend in, it's just like a plug that you would plug into an outlet. Yeah, yeah. Good idea, right? Are you with me? So he goes, check this out, man. I don't know how he didn't die that day, but he bends it, he sticks it in there lightly and he taps it in like that and it blows out across the room and the lights go out in the area because we tripped the breaker. I didn't know that then. I was like, dude, that is awesome. <laughs> I said, that is so cool. I said, but man, it's not safe. And what I should have said is we shouldn't do that anymore. But I said, you know what we should do? We should get our pencils which have erasers on the end. And I heard that rubber protects you from electricity. What if we tape these to the end of the pencil and we use the pencil to push them into the wall? Does that make sense? Yeah. And so we did all day long. Psh, pop, psh, pop, psh, pop. We all going around popping these breakers. The school of ministry is going around. What is going on with these circuit breakers? They keep popping. And we're like, oh my gosh, that's us. The coolest thing is we would go into the men's room and we would turn all the lights off. It's pitch black. And there was a double sink with a big mirror. And there was an outlet right there. And man, when we would put one in there, it would fire off like fireworks. So like we could see ourselves a flash, flash before our eyes. It should have been, but a flash of light in the mirror. Like, this is so cool. Until we got caught. No, not the end of the story. Because I came home that day. And my parents go, so, Andy, how was school today? I'm like, good. I should have caught on to that point. The second time that your parents ask you, oh, anything interesting happened today? Clue it in, buddy. No, norm, business as usual, mom and dad. Well, needless to say, I got in trouble and had to make a lot of apologies. But, you know, I wonder if at that point my parents were thinking, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No. <laughs> they were probably thinking, what is wrong with this kid's head? That's not how we do the Brancic life. That, that isn't who we are. That is not a reflection of who the Brancics are. You ever had this happen in your own life where your kids do some crazy, especially in public, and it's just embarrassing, it's humiliating, and I've been just as guilty of like not, not proper discipline, which is training for their future, but I'm just going to straight up punish you because you embarrass me. And I've had to apologize later and say, that's not the correct way, that's not correct discipline, but we've all had those moments where our kids are acting out and you're like, that is not what they've learned in the household. They're, they're not reflecting the image of the Barancics or the Smiths or the Heists in this public place. What is going on? And I think a lot of times this happens in our own life with that reflection trying to understand. But you know, there's one person in scripture who knew 
his identity, knew his family. And we're talking about him today. His name's Jesus. And Jesus said in John 5, 19, get this. He says, he says, it's truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he, what? Sees the father doing. Now, I'd like to say that as I mature and have matured a little bit in 40 years in my life, is that I'm reflecting more of the image, not just of Christ, but of the principles and the values that I learned in the Baransic household. I would hope that I've grown into a mature son in a lot of these years. Listen, I don't use brass fasteners in the wrong way anyway. In fact, I don't use them anymore. I've just said I won't use them anymore, Lord. I don't want to be tempted to plug them into outlets. But he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, say whatever. Say whatever. Say whatever. Whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. This is powerful to me. If you want to know what God is like, listen to me. It's better to go to Jesus than to Moses. It's better to go to Jesus than to Joshua. It's better to go to Jesus than King David. They had glimpses of who God was, but the, but the Apostle John tells us that Jesus was God on full display. He properly explained him to us, a properly painted picture. Are you following me? And I love the Old Testament because there's so many things, so many shadows, types and shadows of Jesus and things we can get. So we don't throw it out, but we have to go. Listen, if you're going to go wandering around in the Old Testament, take Jesus with you. Because even Jesus challenges some things that were said. Do you remember Jesus got up and he was reading the scroll of Isaiah? And he closed it like, I'm done. And they went, whoa, what happened to the anger and the retribution part? And after that, surely after they tried to push him off a cliff. Because they wanted their angry retreat of God. And Jesus says, no, we're not doing that. Do you remember when, when uh, the sons of thunder, they come out of a Samaritan town, didn't receive them? The first thing they thought is he said, Jesus, should we call fire down upon them like Elijah? And he says, you don't know what spirit you speak of. I didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Jesus was calling to account Old Testament things that happen, misuse of power, things that probably shouldn't have happened, saying, no, there's a new and there's a better way. There's a kingdom that's built on righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we need to follow Jesus. But, but look at this. I love this in the mere translation. It says, Jesus explained to them with utmost certainty that whatever they see the Son does mirrors the Father. Come on. He does not act independent of his father. The son's gaze is fixed in order to accurately interpret and repeat what he sees his father does. The one reveals the other without compromise or distraction. And I love Francois de Troyes. He puts uh, this in uh, his notes. He says, the incarnation does not interrupt what the word, the word of God, right? That's Jesus, was from the beginning face to face with God. Now think about this. Face to face with God. This was a loving relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And within that loving relationship, they said, let's create a world. Let's create humanity. Let's create a being in our own image and likeness so they can reflect us. See, that's why to me, when you read the Ten Commandments, there's some beauty in there. I know that the Ten Commandments is Old Covenant, and now if we live by the law of love, we can just fulfill it all, right? But there's some beauty in it because it was showing us, first of all, what, what, what God's like and to worship Him, and then what you should look like when you respond in relationship to Him. But I used to wonder about that part, you know, about don't make any graven images, don't make any idols. And what do they do? They made graven images and they made idols. And he used to wonder about that. I'm like, well, well, why was that such a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because if you would understand who you are and whose you are, guess what? You don't need images of God because you are the image of God that reflects his image to this world. You don't need a little statue. It's you. Look at the person next to you and say, it's you. You reflect the image of God. And so he's saying, don't get caught up in all this little stuff over here. You're the real deal. You're made in my image and likeness. So reflect the kingdom through you. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. 
Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. This is big stuff. So, you know, there was a time where we didn't know what God is like, but God has always been like Jesus. We just didn't know it, but now we do through the incarnation. So he goes on to say this in chapter 14. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also, and from now on, you know him and have seen him. But look at this. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. I usually laugh at this part, but sometimes that's how we are, right? We see this display. We see who Jesus is, and then we're like, okay, now just show us God. And we just want to know what he's like. And Jesus keeps saying, he's just like me. Look at this. Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? Now, without a show of hands, how often have you been there? We all have. It's easy to read through and go, man, those apostles had some issues, didn't they? Yeah, well, we do too right? But they worked through them. And most of them were martyred for the cause of Christ. So something transformed their heart. Amen. He says, have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me. He who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me, he does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And then Jesus goes on to say this. This is really powerful. Someone needs to hear this today. He says, I am in the Father. You, point at yourself, you are in me and I am in you. He includes us in this union. There were times where I thought somehow I was outside of this union. It was just here. I love that Paul says, at one time, we were enemies of God in our minds. See, this mind sometimes can block us from the benefits of relationship with God because we don't think we measure up. We, we, we don't think we have a right to this relationship. But Jesus is saying, listen, I mean, Pete talked about it last week. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you look at a grapevine, you can't tell where the vine and the branch end begin or meet. That's why Jesus uses this analogy to say, listen, there's no part of me that's not in you and no part of you that's not in me. We're in this together. We're in union. We're, the Greek word is cemented together. Isn't that awesome? So we have to see this and see this picture. Verse 10 in the message says, the words that I speak to you aren't mere words. I don't just make them up on my own. The Father who resides in me crafts each word, listen to this, into a divine act. So we see that Jesus came to reveal the true heart of the Father, to show us what the Father does, how he acts towards us, how he responds to us, how he sees us. Sometimes we need to get that mental picture that we have of ourselves, erase that, and say, God, how do you see me? And when you start to see yourself correctly, you'll start making better decisions. You'll, you'll, you'll choose different words to speak. You'll start to see others differently. It changes everything and it transforms your heart. So with this perspective in mind, I just want to take a few minutes and look at John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we all probably are familiar with the story of Lazarus and the resurrection, which by the way, I was already preparing this message and didn't know we were even singing that song today, Rise Up. It's so cool when that happens, isn't it? So we have Martha, we have her sister Mary, and their younger brother Lazarus, say Lazarus. And these were really good friends of Jesus. Jesus would stop often in the town, he would visit with them. It's just really neat sometimes to, to try to take a perspective that Jesus didn't just float two inches off the ground all the time and not have time for anybody. I mean, he had good, close friends who he could confide in. He could sit down, you know, sip some wine, have a meal with them, and just enjoy life. It's all about life, abundant life, amen? And so Jesus spent quite a bit of time with his family. And while Jesus was ministering in another town, he gets word that his really good friend Lazarus is sick and he's on the edge of death. Well, by the time Jesus arrives in this town of Bethany where they lived, Lazarus had died. And I want to pick this up in verse 17 of John chapter 11. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days, speaking of Lazarus. Verse 18. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the woman around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, listen to this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. He would not have died. But even now, look at this, 
I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. So there's some faith kindling in her, isn't there? Look at this. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. She didn't quite get it because she says, yeah, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said, "Mm, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is a huge question. What does she say? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher, Jesus, has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into town, but he was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Makes sense. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been there or been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing, right? Look at this. Therefore, I want you to get this. This is where we're going. When Jesus saw her weeping, say Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews who came with her weeping, look at this. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. I want us to just park here for a second. He groaned in the spirit and he was troubled. Now this word groan in the Greek means to be very angry and move to indignation. The word troubled means agitated, restless. Now when I first studied this out, I thought to myself, well, wait a minute, I mean, were you mad at Mary? I mean, Martha answered as if she had faith and believed. You don't really see the answer here from Mary. Why would he be angry and agitated and restless. And then this really hit home for me. In the last week and a half. It reminds me of how I felt that night my brother passed away. I could say I was agitated. I was restless. I was angry. I was moved to indignation. I was all over the map. I was telling people yesterday that like, I just took a time I had to go out. It was dark out. I went into this field and the people went by like, who's the crazy guy in the field out there? But I just had this time. I had just had feelings. I had these emotions. I had these things I was feeling. There was an anger. It didn't seem fair. This was huge for me. Because it shows that Jesus has the same feelings that we have when it comes to death and being separated from loved ones. He felt the same feelings. He wasn't mad at Mary. Mary was one of his best friends. Lazarus was one of his best friends. That's powerful. Think about this. If Jesus is the picture of who God is, that means God has feelings. You have feelings because your heavenly father has feelings. And guess what? He cares about our feelings. And so in that moment, it just, it moved me. I thought, wow, Jesus, you feel just, you felt just as I'm feeling right now. Something I've never experienced in my life. And so he says, I can almost see, he he just, he's full of that, that, that agitated restlessness, just the moment he's angry about what happened to Lazarus. And this is, this is wild to me because he knows what's going to happen. He already knows, but he still feels the feelings. And he says, where have you laid him? Right? Can you see this? Where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. And then the next verse, verse 35, very famous verse, because it's the shortest verse in the entire Bible. What does it say? Jesus wept. And, and it's a great little piece for Bible trivia. What's the smallest verse in the Bible, right? But I often talk about how when you're flying in a plane, you'll fly over a certain area and you get a certain perspective, right? So I imagine that if we were flying in a plane over, over John here in chapter 14, we would have this, this, this broad view and everyone would say, oh yeah, yeah, that's the story where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. 
But then when you focus in a little bit deeper, there's something else going on. And I look at this Jesus wept. And this word wept, in the Greek, it means to shed tears or it actually means to wail. Now, if you're not familiar uh, with other... Uh, Dr. Michael, I'm just going to call you Doc. Dr. Michael would know. In many cultures, when someone dies, they wail. There's this, this great, we, we try to hold it in. We're, Western, we're westernized, you know. We're like, we don't want people to see too much, and so we keep it in. But they, they wail. Literally, it says that Jesus wailed. He felt the feelings that we all feel. And look what the Jews say in the next verse. It says, the Jews said to him, see how he loved him? This speaks volumes to me. This is the Jesus that I follow. He has emotion. He has care. And I'm thinking to myself, but Jesus, you, you knew what was going to happen. You knew if you just said, and we know by the story, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the guy comes out like, well, what, is, what is all over me right now? And they said, come on, uh, loose him, right? But in this moment, Jesus has real God, 100% God, 100% human, the incarnation, God in flesh, is having the same feelings we have. This gives me hope. And then they say this in verse 38, I love this. It says, then Jesus again, groaning in himself, feeling these feelings, came to the tomb. It was a cave, a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And of course, Martha, his sister's like, he's been dead for four days, man. I don't know about this. It might not smell too good. He says, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, this is awesome. I thank you that you have heard me. Listen to this. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing here, come on, they're standing by, I said this. Said what? Father, I know you hear me. See, he already knew. Here's Jesus again as, as our Messiah, as, as the great teacher, as the rabbi teaching us, guys, God's always listening. He's always hearing you. But look at this. He says, I did this that they may believe that you sent me. He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped up with the cloth. This is tradition. This is what they would do. And Jesus said to them, now listen, we're flying a little bit closer now. Loose him and let him go. Now, if we're flying up here, we're like, yeah, it makes sense. The guy's in grave clothes. He's, he's not dead anymore. Let's take him off. But he says, loose him and let him go. That's his response to the dead spaces in our lives. The hurts, the emotions, the toxicity, the bitterness, the things that we feel. He says, loose them and let them go. Because he wants to heal us in those areas of our lives. He doesn't want to keep us where we are. And that's really what I found over the last week and a half is healing. Sure, it comes in waves, but I have more peace today than I did yesterday and the day before and the day before. And when I say angry, I'm not angry at God. God's not the author of death and destruction, right? I mean, we're told that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, that the sun rises for the evil and the good. Well, I don't know why stuff happens all the time, and I don't have to. I don't have to have every answer to everything. Come on, who does? If you think you do, it's time to humble yourselves because we don't have all the answers. But I do know this, that God loves me, that God loves you. He has your best interest in mind. And one day, I'm, maybe I'll know it all. <laughs> I used to think I was a know-it-all. Now I realize I'm not. But one day, maybe I will. But until then, the one thing that gets me through every single situation is the love of the Father. And that transforms your heart to a place where it becomes the litmus test of everything that you say and do. You know what love would do? Some people think, oh, love, 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 love. It's so sweet. Oh, it's oh ooey gooey. No, sometimes love hurts. Oh. We opened for those guys, Dad, back in the day. Nazareth. Sometimes love hurts. Because sometimes it shows you that your heart is misaligned with who you really are. And you have these moments where you're like, ooh, what? Ooh, 
I can't believe I reacted like that. I can't believe I said that to that person. I can't believe that was my reaction. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation, just a good old light. I mean, God is light and love. Well, sometimes light exposes things that we're like, whoa, didn't know that was there. And that's what happens in these moments. Jesus says, loose him and let him go. Think about this. The tone and the attitude of Jesus aren't to skim over the feelings and emotions. It's not to make light of the hurts. It's not to sweep things under the rug and pretend like they're not there. It's not fake it till we make it. You see this? But to feel with us, even as the healer, even as the one with the answer. And who does Jesus say he came to show us? The Father. That means that our Heavenly Father's desire is to see us whole. It's to see us completely healed, completely well. If you've gone here for any amount of time, I say this quite often because I want us to get proper perspective, but we've all heard the word salvation. You know, sometimes that word salvation is translated healing because it literally means healing, preservation, deliverance, safety, restoration. Uh, you know, I, I, love, I, I love reading scripture and realizing that salvation is not a one-time event. Sometimes we celebrate so much the altar call and the prayer that we forget this is an ongoing process to those being saved to work out our salvation. How many would say you have areas in your life you still need some deliverance? You still need some healing. You still need some preservation. I can't do the other one. All of us. And so to me, it's like, this is cool. I get to be on this journey with the living God with every intent he has for me is to heal those areas that maybe I don't even see yet. And so it's in those moments where we have to be honest and say, Holy Spirit, shine that light of love on me. Is there something that I don't see that's causing me to react that way or to see myself in a wrong light or see you in a, in a wrong light or to see others? That's a big thing I see is, you know, as, as kingdom followers, you, do you notice this, that Jesus was not about us and them? His table was open to everyone. But sometimes we let the systems and the ideas of the world creep into the church and all of a sudden we're demonizing others rather than celebrating their humanity and saying, oh, they're operating out of their belief system and I'm operating out of mine. You know, it's made it so much easier for me to sit down at the table uh, for, for, with anyone from any walk of life and go, there's a human being sitting in front of me. Wow, I, I should show love and grace and invite them and, and accept them like Jesus did. But too often what we do is we're like, if you change, I'll accept you. But in the life of Jesus, he accepted and that brought change. And so often we get this backwards, me included. And so it's important, you know, when you decide to follow Jesus, you're like, I'm following Jesus, this is gonna be easy. No, it's not. Jesus told us to love our enemies and pray for those who spitefully use us. Well, I don't wanna preach that message. Let's find a good one. <laughs> right? But, but the thing is, if we follow Jesus, we should reflect his life. And how many know it's a journey? And so that's why I'm saying on this journey, it's beautiful that as we're going through it, you'll find another little pocket of something like, whoa, I need some healing from that, Jesus. He'll say, all right, give me some permission to get in there. You're like, by faith, heal me. I need this. And he'll get in there. He'll do his work or start to work on your heart. And all of a sudden you go, okay, I'm acting differently. I'm talking differently. I'm making different decisions and choices in life. It's beautiful. See, knowing the truth sets us free. It is truth, not emotion, that sets us free and allows us to experience God's healing in our lives. And so that's what I want to do over the next several weeks as we look into this idea of God's desire to intersect with those dark places and those dark spaces in our life to bring healing and resurrection. So I'm asking that you would come back for a few weeks at least and go on this journey with me. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this opportunity that we have this morning. It is beautiful that we can congregate into this, this building that we call a church as the church, as the body of Christ, and that we can reflect upon, we can recenter on the truth of who we are and whose we are, and then be able to go out into this week, into this world, and actually live out kingdom life.
show people a love, a grace and acceptance that they've never experienced from a worldly system. Something that is, it just, it's enticing. It's something that people desire. Jesus, when you walked into a place and you brought salvation, healing, deliverance, safety, restoration, people would clamor to you. There was something about you that was mesmerizing unless we were religious and stuck in our ways. I prayed this morning that we can lay those things down. Any false identities of ourselves or you, And as we do, we can step into what you called us to do, the purpose that you put in our heart. And we can do it with this foundation of love, this foundation of grace that you've given to us. Say this with me. Holy Spirit, if there's any area in my soul where I'm believing a lie about myself, about you, about others, shine your light. Show those areas to me. And Jesus, I surrender. I give you permission. Bring healing into those areas. Replace the lie with your truth. I want to be all that you've called me to be. I receive it now in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Isn't God awesome? Did you guys receive that this morning? God loves you so much. And he, he truly wants to work in those areas, man. If, if, you know, usually what you'll notice is as you go along through life, you'll kind of hit that. We talked a couple weeks ago about, you know, all the different forms that we say that one is Jesus is the rock, right? But I was talking about how he can either be the rock that we stumble over or he can be the rock that we can just as easily build our life upon. And so many times I found that Jesus can be that rock. It kind of trips me up like, well, when Jesus, what's up? What are you doing? I'm challenging you in your thinking. I'm challenging you in your life right now. Well, why? Because I love you. And you can be the best that I've called you to be. You can be the best version of yourself, but you have to get proper perspective and identity. And it's in those times where I say, okay, Jesus, no longer are you a stumbling block or a stumbling rock. You, you just as easily can be someone that I can build my life upon, a solid foundation. So I encourage you, keep coming back, and we'll keep talking about how good God is and even how good you are because you're in him. Amen? So until then, we're praying for you guys. We love you so much, and we'll see you again. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.